Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday as we are in the start of a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I'm at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Send me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. We've got big shows coming up in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, next week, I want to tell you that we've got some huge guests. Uh, we're going to talk to James Melville about the movement to digital identity, okay? And central bank digital currencies are part of this, but it's part of a much bigger movement and a much bigger plan to strip away all of your freedom, including your economic freedom. The central bank digital currency move is already very far down the track, not just here in the United States under Secretary Yellen, who, by the way, last week was in China eating psychedelic mushrooms. She took her staff to a Chinese restaurant and was served a plate of psychedelic mushrooms. Now, the restaurant says that when they cooked the mushrooms, it took out all of the hallucinogenics. And so it really had no impact. She wasn't, you know, flying but the Chinese-controlled state media released that. You would not know that unless the CCP 
uh, controlled state media had released that about Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary. So they're clearly mocking her the way they're clearly mocking our Secretary of State, who groveled about a month and a half ago, and our, quote, president, again, air quotes, our president, who went there back in November, um, they're just openly mocking our entire U.S. government. All of our top officials who go there to grovel, please be nice with us. They get this treatment in return. And what's worse is our country gets this treatment in return. By the way, is everyone in this administration on drugs? We're going to get to that in just a second here. So next week, we're going to speak about this move to a digital identity of which central bank digital currencies are a part, but it's part of a much, much bigger plan being run out of world governments, the World Economic Forum, other globalist entities, and, you know, big villains like Bill Gates, like Klaus Schwab. We're going to talk about all of it because it is moving really fast and nobody here is particularly focused on it. And I understand because we have so many other things coming at us. I get it, but we need to focus on it because this is perhaps the most dangerous move. It's hand in glove with everything else we talk about on this show with the loss of freedom and the weaponization of our own government against us. It's all of a piece, but we need to talk about that piece because that's the piece that is driving everything. So that's coming up next week. We're going to have a really big conversation about that. Plus, we have a very special guest coming up next week to talk about happiness. Oh, Monica, there's so much going on right now. It's overwhelming. I'm depressed. Which is exactly why you need a conversation about happiness. And when I tell you that the guest that's going to join us is um, really big, really important, and really fantastic on the subject... You are not going to want to miss this, I promise you. Um, Also, further down the track this month, we're going to talk more about the Great Reset and and other things. We're going to do these deep dives, so get ready. On top of all of that, of course, we're going to talk about what's coming at us um, in terms of the election. We've got that coming up here today as well. Oh, also, in a couple of minutes today, uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman, who is a child psychiatrist, Um, and has been deep on the front lines of the trans agenda and this war on our children. She's got a brand new book out today called Lost in Trans Nation about uh, what is happening to our kids, what it's really all about, and how parents can fight back, how you need to be armed If you have children, even if you don't have children, you need to understand what is going on with America's kids and how we push back. Dr. Grossman is an absolute expert on this, and she's going to join us here for a deep dive conversation in just a couple of minutes. So sit tight. But first, the Monica memo. The Republican primary is over. The Democrat primary, on the other hand has yet to begin. Oh, Monica, what are you talking about? The incumbent President Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat nominee. Oh, really? I don't think so. 
The conventional wisdom almost always is wrong, and the conventional dynamic is almost always wrong. People are looking at the GOP race because everybody's already out there, right? All of the candidates, Trump, DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, they're all out there and they're running. And it's now mid-July of 2023 and they're out there running, they're raising money, they're polling, blah, blah. They're doing events. But the Republican primary is, in effect, over. Donald Trump now is so dominant, he's up 40 points, according to most polls. A 40-point lead is, uh, well, I mean, it's very unique in any kind of political context, but Donald Trump is pretty unique. So that 40-point lead has him so far above everybody else, including his nearest competitor, Ron DeSantis, who, again, is an extraordinary governor. But there is a huge difference between being an effective governor and running for president. You can be the best governor, which Governor DeSantis is, and still not be able to find your footing when you were running a national race. And that has appeared to what has happened with Governor DeSantis, just can't really find his footing. Now, it is mid-July 2023, but the first votes are happening in about six months, so he doesn't have a lot of time here. Six months is nothing in politics. So he could regroup. Anything is possible in politics. He could regroup, but this 40-point lead does look insurmountable. Um, And again, anything could happen. All of these other Republican candidates are playing the prison game. They are playing the game that they're playing the odds that Donald Trump may go to prison, in which case they want to be the obvious default candidate in the event that that happens. But, you know, that's kind of a losing proposition because have they met Donald Trump? Um, Donald Trump is the most resilient political character I have ever seen, most people have ever seen. I mean, I worked with President Nixon during the last years of his life. Nixon was pretty darn resilient. Donald Trump is like next level, next level. So they're playing the odds that Trump is going to go to jail and they'll be able to step in as the default choice because they have run, they've put in the miles, they've put in the time, they've talked to voters. So they think if Trump somehow is eliminated from this race, that voters then will turn to them. And that's not an unreasonable expectation, right? But Trump's lead now is so far that, you know, a lot of people, and I was on Fox and Friends yesterday morning, talking about uh, the debate. Now, Fox News is hosting that first debate on August 23rd, and Trump is hemming and hawing. And look, the point is, when you are that far ahead and you are that unique of a political figure, why would you do this? Chris Christie, and I don't know if he's going to qualify for this debate, but Chris Christie, his entire mission in this race is to beat up on Donald Trump It is not to be the Republican nominee. He will never be that. It's not to be a running mate or a cabinet official in another Trump administration. He will never get that. So his job, he is being funded by Republican big donors to do exactly what he's doing, which is beating up on Trump. Why would Trump step into the ring just to be a punching bag for DeSantis and Christie if he qualifies and everybody else? It's ridiculous. 
makes no sense. Now, maybe further down the road when the debates are happening and some of these other candidates are being weeded out, either they're flaming out or they're running out of money and they've got to drop out of the race, maybe then Trump will will deign to be on the debate stage. But Donald Trump does not need to do this. He doesn't need the name recognition. Everybody knows who he is. He doesn't need to put out his policy positions in a debate context because he's had four years as president. Everybody knows what he stands for. And he's putting out these policy videos, which are incredible. He's putting out policy videos every week on everything from securing the border to dealing with China, to dealing with fentanyl, to uh, pro-growth economic policy like he did in four years. What do you do in the next four years? He's got the policy positions are all out there at every speech, every rally. It's all policy oriented. He has some fun too, but most of this is all policy oriented. So he doesn't need to do these debates. Joe Biden, on the other hand, needs to do some debates with Bobby Kennedy Jr. If Marianne Williamson qualifies, whomever, but he won't. Joe Biden, by the way, has a campaign staff, according to the Wall Street Journal this week, of, I think, three or four people. So some people have read that as, well, Joe Biden isn't really seriously running because he's got really no campaign chairman or no campaign staff of any note, and he's got no campaign headquarters, so the fix is in. And maybe the fix is in. We'll talk about that another day. Maybe the fix is in. But he doesn't really need it. An incumbent president running for re-election doesn't really need the massive, massive kinds of staff. He's got it all built in. He's got Air Force One. He's got, you know, built-in appearances, although he doesn't really make them because he can't, because he's old and senile. But an incumbent president has the infrastructure around them, so they don't really need the kind of infrastructure that a challenger requires. Donald Trump in 2016 had a handful of staff, particularly early on. Then when things got serious, going into 2016, he hired more staff and was raising more money when it looked like he was the inevitable nominee. Generally, though, challengers who have massive staffs end up, you know, blowing a lot of money on nothing, treading water, and actually losing support. They lose ground. Look at what's happening now to Governor DeSantis. And again, I hate to say this because DeSantis is a a tremendous governor. So it pains me to have to say this, but he hired way too many people. The campaign became bogged down with so many people. There were so many donors who all wanted to say. There were so many strategists and pollsters. Any national campaign, any campaign period, I don't care if you're running for president or dog catcher, if you've got that many people, you are going to be weighed down. And there are too many cooks in the kitchen and the whole campaign just sort of, it, it slows down, it becomes, it becomes a lumbering kind of organization and it loses touch with the American people and where they are. And then the candidate is not really free to do what he or she needs to do. This is what's happening right now to Ron DeSantis. And it's very sad. I mean, it was reported this week that he had to weed out, um, you know, nearly a dozen staffers got laid off from his campaign. 
His numbers are going down, not up. And again, it's just he cannot connect really with the people on the ground. He's in Iowa, he's in New Hampshire, and he's just not connecting. You either have that ability to connect or you don't. And if you don't, I mean, Donald Trump has that ability in spades. If you don't, then you have to have something else exceptional to set you apart from everybody else and attract voters. So let's say it was Barack Obama. Well, uh, first serious black candidate. Right. So he had that. He was also able to connect with voters. But let's say someone like Mrs. Clinton, who cannot connect with real voters, she had the whole woman thing going for her. So do you see what I mean? If you can't connect with voters, you need something extraordinary to set you apart, to attract them, to overcome that um, inability to connect. And right now, I don't see that with DeSantis. Yes, he's got a great record. Uh, to run on in Florida, which he's not really running on, which is also a little strange, but he doesn't really have anything else to overcome that inability to connect. And so you got Trump way, way ahead. And that to me is an insurmountable uh, lead. And that tells me he is the inevitable nominee. Plus he's got the one thing that none of the other candidates have, which is an emotional lock on the voters. That emotional bond is unbreakable and totally insurmountable. So the Republican primary is over. It's effectively over. Democrat primary is a different thing. Um, And I just, I want to make mention of this situation uh, before we go to Miriam Grossman on the trans mania. Um, The Democrat primary has yet to begin. There's very little time for it to get started, okay, And I believe that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee. You would not know about all of these scandals from the bribery to the cocaine unless the left's power brokers wanted you to know it. And the reason they want you to know it is because they are getting ready to bounce Joe Biden. Um, A word on the cocaine scandal. Uh, Senator Cotton said during an interview just in the last day or so that the U.S. Secret Service does not appear to have asked Hunter Biden about the cocaine that was found in the White House just, what was it, last week or earlier this month. Listen to Senator Cotton here. I take this very seriously. I mean, what if this was anthrax? This is supposed to be the most secure building in the world. Yet the Secret Service closed down this investigation after just a few days. It's my understanding they barely conducted any interviews. I don't think they interviewed the president's son, who's a known cocaine addict. This is like if Hamburglar lived in the White House and all the hamburgers disappeared. And they said they didn't have any suspects or no one they could question. They know who went through those doors so they can interview them as well. If the president were really serious about it, he could demand everybody that goes through through those doors submit to a drug test. You can use hair testing samples and identify anyone who's used cocaine in the last few months. Those are the steps you would take if you took this seriously. This just seems like another Biden cover-up. So nobody in the Secret Service, uh, which was leading this investigation, apparently talked to the cokehead Hunter. It's just unbelievable. I spoke to someone uh, yesterday whose theory, and again, no evidence here, but this person's theory was that the cocaine was perhaps brought in by Hunter, not for Hunter's use, but for Joe's use. Because he is old and senile and can't really stay awake, that somebody brought in this cocaine 
for Joe. I don't know if that's true. I have no idea. But the idea that the Secret Service would not speak to Hunter. Hunter Biden is the most protected person by the system maybe ever. Of course, all Democrats are protected by the system. But Hunter Biden, who is a walking crime on everything from the prostitutes to the drugs to the gun charge to the tax evasion to all of it, the most protected Spoiled brat, maybe in the history of America. The other part of this equation is uh, his plea deal is coming before a judge on July 26. So pretty soon here, next week, I guess. It's not just the cocaine scandal, which the Secret Service had to open and close pretty darn fast in order to get it off the table before this plea deal. And really, this is what it's all about. Um, but also the fact that now we know there was absolute obstruction by the system, by the DOJ and FBI and other entities to obstruct the investigation into Hunter's tax issues, the gun charges, and the rest of it, the interstate commerce with the prostitutes, all of that stuff. We know that the DOJ and FBI intervened to stop and block that investigation over many years. Here's Missouri Republican Congressman Jason Smith talking about how the judge needs to have full access to all of this information before signing off on this plea deal next week. Listen. Surely we do not live in a two-tier judicial system. And just because your last name's Biden, you shouldn't be treated differently. We feel like that that definitely the judge needs all the information in making the decision. Well, yes, of course, Congressman uh, Smith is exactly right, but I have no confidence that any of this will happen, nor do I have confidence in this judge to put off signing off on this plea deal. I feel like the system is so corrupt that this plea deal is going to come before whatever judge this is, and this judge is going to sign off. And then we're going to do another show about how outraged we all are about all of this. And yet the corruption rolls on. This is where we are in America, and this is why we need a wholesale change come next year. This is the reason why uh, President Trump is 40 points ahead, because everybody is looking to Trump like, okay, you began draining the swamp in your first term. You are the only one who can pick up the ball and get it moving again in a second term. You see how all of this is working together. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears entirely. And, you know, we haven't spoken a lot on this program about the transmania, but it is a serious, serious issue. And I talked to some of my friends who have grade school age children, who have middle school and high school age kids, and they all tell me that this is, this is a serious issue and that there are kids in their kids' schools who are going down this track This is extremely dangerous. And Dr. Miriam Grossman is going to join us here in just a couple of minutes so we can all understand what is actually happening here. And if you are a parent, and even if you're not, you need to understand how to arm yourself against this madness. That is just moments away. Sit tight. 
as central banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to a digital currency, the Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for the U.S. With a digital currency, the government could track every single purchase you make. Officials could even prohibit you from purchasing certain products or even easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. These are some of the reasons concerned Americans are reaching out to Birch Gold Group. They want to have a physical asset that's independent from the U.S. dollar. Gold held tax-sheltered in a retirement account. Learn if gold is right for you too. Text Monica to 989-898 and they will send you a free info kit on gold. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold has been helping my listeners from the very beginning. Text MONICA to 989-898 and claim your free info kit on gold because if a central bank digital currency becomes reality, it'll be very nice to have some gold to depend on. Well, across our country, we've got atrocities taking place in doctor's offices and hospital operating rooms. We've got physically healthy children and adolescents being permanently disfigured and sometimes even sterilized. Those kids say that they are transgender and everybody else around them, their parents, their teachers, their therapists, their doctors, All of us as a society, we're all supposed to agree with their self-diagnosis, even when sometimes these children are three and four years old. And we're also supposed to all take a back seat as they go ahead making the most consequential decision of their lives to permanently alter their bodies in order to, as we are told, align them with their minds and with what they feel. But what is actually going on here? For answers, we turn to one of the nation's foremost experts on the transmania and the absolute evil of it. Miriam Grossman, MD, is a board-certified doctor, medical doctor in psychiatry and in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry. She is the author of several books, including Unprotected, and your teacher, you're teaching my children what? Dr. Grossman's work exposing the origin and hazards of the sexuality and gender industry, and yes, it is a an industry at this point, has been translated around the world, and she has lectured at the British House of Lords and the United Nations. Her new book is an absolute must-read. It's called Lost in Transnation. A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. It is available now wherever books are sold. You must go get it. Her website is miriamgrossmanmd.com. So check her out there as well. And she joins us now for a very important conversation. Miriam, welcome. Thank you so much, Monica, for having me. Well, I am delighted to have you here. And uh, as I mentioned to you before we came on air, I saw you were on Steve Bannon's war room, either right before me or right after me. And I texted Steve right away. And I said, you have to give me 
Miriam Grossman's uh, contact information because I've got to have her on my show. And he did. So I thank him for that. And I want to congratulate you on yet another very important book. And, you know, there is so much to excavate here with regard to the trans agenda. I'd like to start with you, Miriam, at the very beginning, because none of us, I, I don't care unless you are Gen Z, the rest of us growing up saw none of this. Maybe we saw some tomboys, you know, girls who dress like boys and they were play, out there playing sports. And maybe we saw some boys who were a bit effeminate, but nothing like we see today. Talk to us about the origins of the trans movement. How did we get here? Of course. Um, and, you know, when I trained to be a doctor and then a psychiatrist, I never dreamt that I would see even one individual in my career who was suffering from what we now call gender dysphoria. It used to be called gender identity disorder because it was so so remarkably rare. One in many tens of thousands of people had this uh, disorder, you know, which, which certainly does exist and can be debilitating. But the point is, as you just said, Monica, that it was once so rare that we never even heard about it. And now, just in the past 10 years, the rates of kids who are identifying as something other than their biology is up by 5,000%. And so we have entire you know, high school classes, a ninth grade class or an 11th grade class in which you might have 10% uh, of the kids identifying as the opposite sex or some other category which has recently been invented such as non-binary. What, what we have now is we have an epidemic it's a social epidemic, which means that these ideas and beliefs and feelings are spread among uh, social groups, such as friends, either at school or online through social media. And kids who were never, uh, never had any problem with being a boy or girl in a, in a uh, quite rapidly in a short amount of time might become convinced that that is the fact. And they then approach their parents and say, uh, mom, dad, I'm not your son. I'm your daughter. I'm telling you to please call me by this new name that I picked a girl's name. I want you to refer to me as she and her. And I want you to make an appointment at a gender clinic so that I can be uh, medicated and I, my puberty can be stopped and so on. Now, I have talked to hundreds of parents who have been in that position, Monica, and they all tell me that they felt uh, ambushed. They felt they never, ever saw this coming. And when it did happen, they were completely unprepared. How to manage it? What to do? What does it even mean? When, you're, when your child tells you that. So after seeing all these families and the kids, by the way, for a few years in my private practice, I really felt compelled to go out and write a book for parents. It's not for therapists. It's not for medical doctors. It's for 
You don't have to have a PhD to read this book. It's for regular families, any family, in order to immunize your family against this social contagion, this social hysteria that is now going on and that has very unfortunately uh, uh, taken over our mainstream medical and educational and governmental organizations. All on purpose and all by design. And I do want to get into that with you, Dr. Grossman. The, you know, thinking about pop culture, you know, as I was preparing for our conversation, I thought about the classic movie, Some Like It Hot, where you've got Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis cross-dressing, dressing as women in order to board a train and get across the country. And it's a hysterical comedy. I think about the character of Klinger on MASH. Uh, dressing like a woman to try to convince his superiors that he's crazy so he can get thrown out of the army and sent home from the Korean War. Um, You've got these pop culture markers over time. But why do you think it's exploded in this much more serious kind of way across all categories, seemingly so suddenly? Well, I'll tell you why. And I explained this in the book and I take parents through it so that they can understand. Um, It did actually start a long time ago in the 50s. John Money, a psychologist at Johns Hopkins, an evil person, a pedophile, pro-incest. He had the idea that perhaps one's sex could be separated from one's biology and you could have, so to speak, a psychological sex which has nothing to do with your body, with your chromosomes and so on. And he introduced this idea and he tried to prove that uh, we are actually born gender neutral, that we are like blank slates. And it's society that just foists this idea of masculinity and femininity on babies and on children. And he tried to prove his theory and he did it by terribly harming an innocent family from Canada. Many of your listeners probably heard of the Reamer twins from Canada, uh, two boys born completely uh, normal uh, and then went for a circumcision. And one of the boys' penises was um, burnt off because there was a problem with the equipment. Of course, the parents were completely at a loss of what to do. They found John Money. John Money told them, you can raise this child as a girl. You just need to castrate him, give him a girl's name, put him in dresses. We're going to do a little bit of surgery on him. We'll give him some estrogen and he's going to be fine. So they went along with it. They were, they were a blue collar family. Um, and Dr. Money was a extremely sophisticated and, and educated and well-spoken uh, professor at Johns Hopkins, had an excellent reputation, was a worldwide expert. So to make a long story short, this uh, experiment on the twins in which one of them was raised as a boy, obviously, and the other was raised as a girl, um, this experiment was reported to the world by John Money as a complete success. Uh, He published it in papers. He went out and uh, uh, you know, made it known to uh, the, the non-professional world, the lay public, that um, that boys and girls, uh, that there was nothing inborn 
uh, about being a boy and a girl. It was all uh, just so, a social construction. It was all due to the way that society is uh, foisting these ideas and these behaviors onto little girls and boys. And of course, this was also just around the time after that was when feminism arose. And so it was very much in tune with the feminist idea. So to make a long story short, this, um, this situation was actually a catastrophe. The boy, uh, despite being told that he was a girl by everyone around him and being raised as a girl, what we would now call socially transitioning, inside, he never felt like a girl at all. He was extremely masculine in his preferences for toys and activities and his interests. He walked like a boy, talked like a boy. Uh, kids called him cave woman when he was in elementary school. He had a very, very tough life. Finally, he got to the point where he was suicidal and his parents decided against John Money's advice to let him know that he was actually a boy, born a boy. And years later, when he discussed it as an adult, uh, he was on Oprah, actually. He was interviewed uh, on Oprah, and there were, there were documentaries that were made about the twins. And he said at that moment, he realized he wasn't crazy, and he felt such a sense of relief that he wasn't a girl. He knew that he wasn't a girl. He just didn't know what the heck had happened over here. Now, what this story tells us, I mean, of course, it tells us many things about how doctors in white coats with a lot of diplomas on their walls can actually be terrible, evil individuals. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, it also tells us that biology is very important. And biology makes us boys or girls, which is not to say, of course, that there aren't, you know, very feminine boys and there are more masculine girls and that's fine that's personality that's not sex now kids are being shoved down down their throats this rhetoric day in and day out little kids are being told that um being a boy or a girl is something that you can pick that that if you don't fit into this stereotype this box <clears throat> the stereotypical box of, of male or female. And if you don't feel good about yourself, maybe you have anxiety, you're on the autism spectrum, you have trouble making friends, you don't like the idea of developing breasts, you don't like the idea of having erections, well then, you might be the opposite sex. And so what's happened is that this the, all these ideas infiltrated over the years. And again, it didn't, many people, Monica, do think that it happened recently, but I, my book that I wrote in 2009 called You're Teaching My Child What, which was a review of the appalling material that kids are being taught in sex education. I included this. I have a chapter in that book, again, 2009, called Genderland because I discovered that Planned Parenthood and SECUS and other sex ed organizations with our tax dollars are telling kids these, you know, indoctrinating kids with these bogus ideas, such as being born in the wrong body. So it has been around, but it only took off, let's say uh, eight to 10 years ago 
is when things really started to take off in terms of the numbers of kids that began uh, getting into this and uh, were coming out and, and identifying as the opposite sex. And now, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the, the numbers are up by 5,000%. It is a social contagion. And I want parents to understand that they have to get control before any of this happens. You know, when their kids are still little, they have to be telling their kids that being a boy or a girl is something permanent. It cannot be changed. It is established at conception. So nine months before they were born. And you can tell this to little kids, you know, when you talk to them about babies being born and babies in the tummy and all of that sort of thing, you can throw in that piece of information. You know, sex, boy and girl is established at birth. And I want kid. I mean, I'm sorry, at conception, at birth or before it's recognized. That's when we recognize, oh, you're having a boy or you're having a girl, or this is a baby boy or a baby girl, but it is permanent and it is established at conception. I want kids to hear that from an early age so that when they are exposed to this phrase, which drives me crazy, this phrase, sex assigned at birth, Mm -hmm. absolutely incorrect. Sex is not assigned at birth. And, you know, I said this a few weeks ago, I was testifying in the House of Representatives on this issue. And can you believe it, Monica, that in the House of Representatives, in our Congress, I have to, or a doctor has to come in there and testify and say, sex is established at conception and recognized at birth. I mean, what's next? Are we going to have, we need a mathematician to come in and testify that two and two is four? I mean, it's all, it's just basic biology, X and Y chromosomes that we all learn starting in middle school, going through a high school um, and onward toward college. I mean, these are just basic facts that have been absolutely warped. And I want to get into some of the atrocities that uh, you have seen and that are are underway in hospitals and ORs all the time. Um, But before we do, just on that that point about a social uh, contagion, Dr. Grossman, this seems to be a particularly virulent and dangerous social contagion. And it's also a form of cultural Marxism, is it not? Because it, it is yet another dark way for the left to confuse and indoctrinate children, lock them into a leftist ideology very early so that the left has a standing army of these confused kids going forward and to blast apart the nuclear family. This is cultural Marxism. And again, just to emphasize, we are not talking about the Caitlyn Jenners of the world. We're not talking about grown adults who can make an informed decision about what to do with their bodies. We are talking about children and adolescents who are not informed and cannot make that kind of, uh, give that kind of informed consent to what they think they're being, you know, children are very suggestible and they're being fed these ideas by very evil people and their lives will be ruined from that moment forward. So it's cultural Marxism and it's a particularly strong form of social contagion, correct? It is particularly a strong form of social contagion. 
you know, we have more benign forms of social social contagion, which is when <clears throat> one of your kids, for example, might want a certain kind of haircut or certain kind of shoes because all their friends are are, are getting those. And that is also a social contagion. But yes, this is a dangerous one because it places kids on a path toward medicalization and being a lifelong patient. So I want to explain to your audience that when these young kids, they might be 10 or 12 years old or even younger, if they are put on puberty blockers at that age, and then we know that upwards of over 90% of kids that are put on blockers go on to be placed on cross-sex hormones, those kids are forever medical patients, consumers of pharmaceuticals for the rest of their lives. Mm. So, you know, and that's not even talking about all the extremely expensive uh, 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 surgical procedures that are going to be covered by insurance. So when, you know, when you, you talk about this, you have to keep it in mind that these are little kids. They cannot fathom what it means to, uh, they, 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 these are kids that haven't yet even developed a normal sexual response because in order to have a sexual response, um, you know, feelings of arousal and feelings of attraction, you need to get, you know, well into puberty and you need to be exposed to those surges of either testosterone or, or estrogen, depending on whether you're a boy or a girl. Now, when that does not happen, Monica, these kids do not develop sexual attraction, sexual drive, the ability to be aroused, the ability to orgasm. At least in the boys, we certainly know that that's true because the penis remains underdeveloped like a child's penis. So they grow up you know, with, with a genital deformity. Now, mind you, they weren't born with any deformity. This is because of iatrogenic harm iatrogenic harm. I want to teach that term to your listeners. It means harm that is perpetrated by medical professionals or also mental health professionals, iatrogenic harm. And that's what we're looking at here. In many cases um, and many places across the country, Dr. Grossman, Parents are deliberately kept out of the loop. We see this all the time, whether it's teachers or medical professionals. Uh, they're planting the seed in your child's head. Uh, your child then gets the idea, begins to question, begins to get confused, and parents are blocked from knowing, from having this information. So at home, maybe the, the kids are acting relatively normal. At school, now they're starting to explore this other side. They ask for a change of name. They ask for a change of uh, pronoun use. Again, this is cultural Marxism in which the state takes control of your children. So in the early stages of a child being gender confused because they are so suggestible, what is your advice for parents early on um, if they begin to start to see this in the early stages, maybe the mask starts to slip with the child uh, and they begin to see some signs of this. What is the greatest advice you can give for early intervention? Monica, the intervention that I'm suggesting in the book that I'm advising in the book is even before that. So even before you see any of that going on with your child, 
you're going to put your school on notice. And I have forms available in the book uh, uh, that have been written by attorneys, brilliant attorneys that have expertise in this area of enforcing parents' constitutional right to be in charge of their child's education and what goes on at school. So before you you see any red flags or anything like that going on with your child, you have already put the school on formal notice with this form and you have said to them, we do not permit our child to be taught about gender ideology. We certainly do not permit any sort of changing of their name or pronouns or permitting them to use the opposite sex bathroom. Because you see what's happening, and I've talked to many of these families um, and I tell their stories in my book, parents are finding out that, that their daughters are using the boys' bathrooms months after, mo months after it begins. Okay, they're just serendipitously might be finding out from, <clears throat> from another parent like one mother I spoke to ran into another mom at the grocery store and this other mom said, oh, did you know your daughter's using the boy's bathroom? Okay, so when this, this is the sort of thing that's happening in our schools and the schools are even going to the degree of some of them providing the kids with an alternate set of clothes, opposite sex clothes, so that when they, they come in from your home, dressed one way, and then they change and they even have, there's, there's a case coming out of Maine recently in which a mother discovered that her daughter was given a breast binder at school, to wear at school, a breast binder being a uh, very, a, an elastic device that's worn under the clothing, very, very tight, um, compresses the chest, causes shortness of breath and uh, pain and all sorts of other issues. Uh, and, and girls are wearing these under their clothing to hide their developing breasts. And the schools are uh, facilitating that. So, you know, let, let's start way, way before. And, you know, I have, I have various, I have lots of information in the book about how, uh, how again, families can need to get educated, um, need to start with this early on to immunize their kids so that the kids know the first time that they even hear this idea of being born in the wrong body and that sex is randomly assigned by a doctor or a midwife in the, in the delivery room, your child is going to say, uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, that's, that, that's not right. And they're not going to be eligible for recruitment. And it is recruitment, Monica, as you said earlier the medical organizations have been co-opted and taken over by this, this gender tyranny. And before, you know, you need to vet your, your pediatrician because the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, is 100% with this, with this narrative, with, uh, you know, believing in, in, in the whole thing from A to Z, sex assigned at birth, you know, the kid gets to decide if they're boys or girls or both or neither. Then you give the, you know, you intervene with the uh, medical interventions and so on and so forth. Um, there is no data indicating that kids in the long term are benefiting either from the social transition or the medical transitions. We do know, though, that at the other end of it, there is harm. 
Now, I want parents to vet their pediatricians because pediatricians, once you have a kid who's seven or eight years old, that pediatrician, when they see your child, um, is going to ask you to leave the office. And when you leave the office, you know what that pediatrician is going to say. They're going to say, do you identify as a boy, a girl, both or neither? You don't want that happening. You don't, you don't, you do not want that happening. You want to take your kid and run the opposite direction. Well, I, you are exactly right to raise all of these red flags, Dr. Grossman. And it, what's really incredibly disturbing here is that all of our institutions, medical, educational, and legal, which are designed to protect all of us, but certainly the most vulnerable, including children, are instead aiding and abetting this madness. So you mentioned the medical profession. I thought the Hippocratic Oath was first, do no harm. Seems like a lot of doctors and other health professionals are violating that oath. They're carrying out these barbaric procedures, little to no counseling or psychiatric care prior to uh, hormones and the surgery, very little aftercare. These, these kids are simply thrown back into their lives with just as much confusion, suicide rates off the charts. It's just, it, 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 is, it is profoundly evil. And I want to get to that question in a second, but the educational system, in addition to the healthcare system and the legal system, do, do parents have any recourse here? You mentioned very early preemptive strike, cut it off at the pass with teachers and administrators in the school. When it comes to the legal system, um, you know, that the legal system is now protecting these criminals at the expense of loving, concerned parents. Do parents and families have any legal recourse here? Oh, absolutely. And I don't mean to be, you know, leading people to believe this is all doom and gloom because it is, certainly is not. And I have a lot of information in my book that is also helpful and supportive of parents. There are, you know, in the past few years, parents have rallied together, the parents of these kids who refuse to go with the narrative. And they have groups and they have organizations and they even have uh, retreats where they get together and support one another. There are wonderful lawyers that are stepping up to the plate and taking these uh, lawsuits against schools, against doctors and surgeons. So, yes, there is a lot happening. Plus, you know, the kids can can be brought out of it. Um, they can grow out of it, number one, uh, if, if they're permitted to go through their normal puberty and they get appropriate therapy that dives into what's going on with them and why did they choose this new identity, there's this new persona, what's behind it, is it a history of trauma? You know, sometimes a girl may have been sexually abused or even just, you know, she's uncomfortable with her developing bodies like, duh, who, you know, who didn't feel, who, who didn't feel that way? But um, they're just, they're being given this message that, you know, oh, just, you, you know, you're a boy, that's all, just go in that direction. But kids can certainly be brought out of it. It can be a difficult, difficult road. There are families that sometimes have to go to the extreme. And I tell these stories in my book of not only homeschooling, but sometimes moving to a different state and sometimes moving to a different country in order to get away from the ideology. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it is it's certainly rampant here in the United States and across the West, particularly Canada as well. But there are other places. But imagine being that desperate as a parent that you have to leave your own hometown, state, country in order to get away from this virulent uh, mind virus that is destroying people's lives. Um, in our remaining moments here with you, Dr. Grossman, you, you often use the word evil to describe all of this. And I want to thank you for that because this is a spiritual battle. This is God versus the enemy, good versus evil, however you want to characterize it. So I want to ask you, what role does faith play in this battle against this absolute madness? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I would say two things. No one's ever asked me that yet. Um, I would say that when we go back to our Judeo-Christian values, um, we learn about male and female, and we learn that they are separate, distinct entities, that there's two choices, not 53, um, and that they are permanent. Um, so we, you know, we certainly get that from our Judeo-Christian heritage. But in addition, I would say that for the parents, what came to mind immediately when you asked me that is that the parents who are going through this disaster in their lives, and it really is a disaster because you see, they have to make this choice between, you know, what the, what the, um, the professionals are telling them to do and what they know in their gut. And if there is one overriding message for parents of my book, it's to trust your gut. But a lot of these parents, you know, are are strengthened by their sense of their faith. And, um, you know, families that do not have that, I think, have a harder time accepting that this could such a terrible thing could possibly happen. If you don't have a notion of evil existing in the world and you see something like this, it's just all the more difficult to deal with. But if you know beforehand that, yes, there, there is evil in this world. There are evil people. There are evil ideas. There are evil you know, social political movements. Then it might be a drop easier to, to handle it and to navigate through it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm a person of great faith and... I find it fortifies me. And I think a lot of these parents are afraid of not looking cool or tolerant. You know, the, this movement, this trans movement is now considered cool. So the kids now uh, want to be part of this cool movement and cool group. And it's it's uh, really is cultural Marxism and yet another form of a countercultural uh, revolution. But I well, think... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to just add to what you just said that beyond being cool, it's also a way to not be uh, a, the 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 oppressor. Mm -hmm. okay? Right. So for you know for middle and upper class white heterosexual kids, they are the oppressor, and then when they can adopt this sexual minority identity of being transgender, then they can be uh, oppressed instead of the oppressor. Yes, yes. And I think faith is such a core weapon. It's a core form of ammunition against this tremendous dark pressure coming at both parents and their children. All right. Final question for you before we let you go. 
Um, We've got to save our children here. And you're such a critical player in this. And I'm so glad that you're exposing the evil around all of this. Are you optimistic that we can turn this evil around and that it will eventually burn itself out? Yes, I am. Because we have had other medical scandals like this. We did prefrontal lobotomies on about 40,000 people before we realized that it, it, that it was not the way to treat mentally ill people. Um, this, this is, it, it, it's not exactly like that, that scandal because there's so much money being poured into it from high places and from very wealthy individuals that are, uh, that want to see, you know, they, they want to see sort of humanity 2.0, the, um, you know, the transhumanist movement and all of that that we didn't have time to discuss, but I am hopeful. Yes, I do. I do think that we're going to get through this and we, there's already been huge changes even in the past six to 12 months. So I want to, if I could just uh, remind your listeners, lost in trans nation, it's two separate words, lost in trans nation, a child psychiatrist guide, uh, out of the madness. And then I'm on Twitter, which is at Miriam underscore Grossman. I have a website, MiriamGrossmanMD.com. Lots and lots of good stuff on there, including my uh, congressional testimony from a few weeks ago. It's absolutely fantastic. And you are such a heroine for all of these children in America and beyond. Again, the book is called Lost in Trans Nation. A Child Psychiatrist Guide Out of the Madness, the author who's been our just unbelievable guest. We are so grateful to our Miriam Grossman, MD. She is a medical doctor, a psychiatrist. She knows what she's talking about. And this book is an absolute must read. Go get it and arm yourself, particularly if you're a parent for the battles ahead. Dr. Grossman, thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Let's do it again. Okay, that is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for being here, for checking out all of our great sponsors. We really appreciate that as well. Coming up here on Thursday, we're going to talk DEI and ESG with the OG of all of those alphabet nightmares, Chris Rufo is going to join us. He is such a warrior against all of this. In fact, for many years, he was a one-man band fighting against ESG, DEI, and what he calls America's cultural revolution. We've been calling it that here as well. This is a Marxist revolution. He is going to join us here on Thursday. You are not going to want to miss that. That is going to be an explosive conversation. Okay, so have a great balance to your week, and I will see you right back here on Thursday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.